Welcome to Take 10 for Mental Health. We are conversations with inspiring people about how they manage their mental health. My name is Sophia Hatsis. I am the host of the show and I get the privilege of bringing you these conversations every week. We speak to people from all walks of life, like Gotcha for Life founder Gus Wallen. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. I truly believe that vulnerability is a new way to lead. There's stuff that we do that is good. There's stuff that we just don't know what we're doing. It's nothing wrong with being human and explaining that to the people that you love. Episodes drop on Monday, so make sure you're subscribed and you're the first to know when they're available. Welcome to Take 10 for Mental Health. We are conversations with inspiring people about how they manage their mental health. And today I am joined by businesswoman influencer and just all-round wonderful human being, Sophie Allen. Sophie, how are you? I am so well. That was a really nice intro. You've got a really good podcast voice. Thank you so much. I am putting it on a little bit for you. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. For our viewers' knowledge, I suppose, Soph and I um, connected on Instagram uh, not too long ago, actually. We were going through some pretty tumultuous life circumstances at the same time. And I am so grateful to have found you uh, and to have connected with you in the way that we did because you really helped nurse me through a very difficult period of my life. So I'm very grateful for you. And I'm also really grateful that we can be here chatting today. Um, I guess before I get started in the meat of the conversation, um, I do usually like to ask my guests how they are on a scale of one to 10. So if you were to think of, you know, one being the lowest of lows and 10 being the highest of highs, where would you say you sit on that scale today? Um, probably around like a six, six and a half. I'm feeling very burnt out with work and really tired and I haven't uh, had a break or time off like even over Christmas. It was a really busy period for me with work. So I'm really in need of a break mentally and physically, which I'm planning on taking in a couple of weeks time. So I think I'll be feeling really rejuvenated after that. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for being honest. I also would love to get to the point where we can talk a little bit more about your business because I know that that's something that has gone astronomically well. So I really want to talk to you about that, I guess. Before that, um, we should tell our audience what it is you do because you are a business owner. Um, Train with Soph is your baby. It's your business. Um, It's what you do day to day. But that all kind of started with getting... I guess you would say big on social media and having a social media presence. Could you talk our audience through where your fitness journey started? And then I guess we'll speak a little bit to how that translated into social media. Yeah. So it was back in 2000, end of 2015 was when I started my Instagram account. But for years before that, I was having troubles with my body image as far as looking in the mirror and just being unhappy with what I saw. And you know, back then it was a little bit different. You didn't see yourself in as many pictures or anything like that, like you do now, but there was a lot of pressure from the media and social media was sort of just picking up around then too. So I'd never really been a fitness girl. Like I did sport at school and I didn't really yeah, do gym or anything like that. And I had returned from living abroad and I'd gained some weight and I was just like, you know what? I just want to get fit and find something that can make me feel happy about myself. Cause I thought, you know, X equals Y. I was like, if I'm skinny, then I'll be happy. And so I went through a whole lot of different phases of like running or doing these random programs that I found. And then I ended up doing a program and training from home and sticking to that and getting good results as far as my goal of fat loss. So I was documenting that on social media and that was how the traction really started. People were sort of interested in 
how I was achieving my results, following along, being in that community. And as that sort of grew, so too did my passion for health and fitness and helping people. So that was really the catalyst for getting into it. It it was from a negative headspace as so many people who aim to change their body do start in that place. But that was where it started for me. And obviously it's been a huge journey where my headspace and relationship with training and fitness and my body has changed dramatically, but it's been a really big process with a lot of ups and downs, which I'm sure you may want to talk about today. And part of your fitness journey that I'm really intrigued about. And so after you had kind of started to get into fitness and started to see the results that you were looking for and um, posting about that on social media, you did end up, um, I guess, I don't want to say applying because applying sounds like the wrong word, but you were in a WBFF bodybuilding competition. Can you talk us through the rationale around that? Like, why did you decide to do that kind of competition? And what was the effect that that ended up having on your mental and your physical health? To be honest, I don't think there was much rationale behind the decision. It was very much a product of my environment. It was normal and common for people who I was hanging out with to compete. So once I I relocated to Sydney from Melbourne for four years and I really got into the gym scene there and I that was really where my passion grew. Like I became qualified as a PT and I was just, I just really enjoyed training. It made me feel really good. It was this new thing that I could apply myself to and learn about and share with people online. So I was really enjoying it. I was seeing results quite easily Whereas my journey in the lead up to that, it seemed to be quite difficult to get results. But it was like once the knowledge was in place and I was being really consistent and doing the quote unquote right things, I was seeing the results and I think the results become very addictive. And from there, I was like, okay, what's my next goal? And my next goal, I was like, oh, yeah, I could, I'll just compete because that seems to be what everyone is doing around me. It, like it would be good to challenge myself, you know, seemed like the next logical step. It was pretty illogical because I didn't even want to be up on stage whilst I loved training and nutrition. Like you don't have to go to the extremes of bodybuilding to as a next step or anything like that, unless you really want to be competitive and that's your passion and that's what you want to be doing with your life. And it, it wasn't for me, but I didn't really consider that. It's kind of like I made up my mind and I was like, I just want to do this thing and it'll be cool to document on social media so people can come on the journey with me. So it was a pretty big process. The prep is, I think I prepped for about 16 weeks. I was essentially in a deficit for 16 weeks and, you know, not eating very much, training, I think I was training six days, five days a week and then cardio on top of that. And it was a lot. And it was actually really hard to work as well. I think in that time, I also quit my full-time job and went into my own business, but I didn't do much in the beginning because I was so focused on this prep. And the prep itself wasn't horrible. Like I started in a pretty good place as far as my caloric you know, intake and, you know, it got, there were definitely hard moments and you're so depleted. And then I competed. And after that was when things started getting really bad as far as my relationship with myself and my body and food and training and everything just blew up from there. Yeah. And can we talk a little bit to that? Because it's so, it's so interesting to me because it feels almost like a social media is like the blessing and the curse because when you document that kind of, um, 
journey and that kind of quote unquote achievement, right? And it was an achievement. Like you got on stage and you'd been working so hard for it and we shouldn't be taking away from that, which something was that was really important for you to achieve at that time. I always think about the competitors after that. Like what happens after you've achieved quote unquote peak condition? Because you can't stay in that condition for life. It's not possible. I'm really curious about what happens to those competitors when that is over. Can you talk us through what that was like for you? Because there is going to ultimately be a um, a fat gain or weight gain as a result of coming out of a pretty intense comp prep. Yeah. A lot of people warned me about post-comp, but no one really said why. Like people were like, oh, post-comp's really hard. Make sure you've got an exit plan, a game plan, all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like my coach at the time didn't really say this is what to expect and this is what we're going to do. So I didn't even think that regaining weight was a thing that was meant to happen. Mm. I was just like, no, but like this is the body I worked for and this is where I stay, no, like isn't that right? And so I'd freak out every week. I'd do my check-in and be like, why am I gaining weight? Like I'm I'm regaining it so quickly. And I was also starving and just wanted to be eating all the foods that I'd deprived myself of. And I went traveling pretty soon after and I was pretty inactive. So it was kind of all the things you shouldn't do. I did do like eating so many donuts after the competition because that was all I was craving. And it was like, okay, cool. I'll have my blowout post comp and then I'll get back on quote unquote on track. But yeah, I just didn't know what to expect. So I thought that what was happening was wrong by regaining weight. And there was no one there to really educate me on what was going on in the body. And I didn't know where to even look or that it was something I should be looking into and understanding. So for starters, I felt like a failure. I was also documenting it on socials, seeing my body change, and that was really difficult. And I wasn't feeling excited about my training. I just, all of it was just, it was just such a bad time. And and even in amongst it, I didn't even have the awareness or the foresight to sort of take a step back and look at what was happening. It was just all a bit of a blur. And it just put me into this cycle of, gaining weight and then wanting to be leaner because I'd been at that peak condition and I thought, okay, that's my new goal that I have to try and maintain. And it was just, I didn't know it was unrealistic until I went through all the shit that you go through to learn the lessons the hard way. You have been really open on your socials really recently. And I've kind of been watching you from afar for quite a while. Like I do remember sort of being probably aware, like following you probably since about 2017. So even like around this time. And I've seen your transformation from the kind of account that you started with to the account that you have now, which is honestly, you've cultivated a really beautiful community and a really beautiful um, educational platform as well. I think that's so important for fitness and um, fitness influencers to create, especially with the power that they have, um, is to make sure that there is that education um, around like training and nutrition and all that kind of stuff. Um I'm really interested to talk to you about how you've documented weight and how you've documented the process of practicing like positive body image and practicing self-love when what you see in the mirror isn't what you want to to isn't where you want to be. Can you tell me how you got to that place because you have a platform of like over 370,000 people who are basically watching your every move. 
how did you cope with that whole process? Because for me, like if I went through it, I feel like I would have crumbled. Like how did you manage that process of like documenting the changes of your body online whilst also practicing positive body image offline? I don't think the positive body image stuff and work really came into play until about 2020. So I was still so fixed on this idea of getting leaner. So I was almost always in a deficit. I was almost always striving to get smaller and get leaner. And that was what I was documenting for a really long time. Like follow along with me in this, I'm in this deficit, I'm doing this deficit, whatever. And then I wasn't in the deficit and then I was. And so I hit it quite a bit and yeah, I, I don't even, this is the first time I really reflected on that. Um, I didn't even realize that that I was hiding that. Um, I don't think it was intentional. I think it was my own perception about myself where I felt like a failure. I, I had attached so much of my self-worth to what my body looked like and those achievements and accolades of getting leaner and being a PT who could get lean that I didn't even realize I was doing it. And then it came to 2020 when there was a whole lot of stuff going on in my life. You know, everyone was going through stuff in 2020. But on top of lockdown, I also had, I was on Roaccutane for my skin. I had some thyroid issues. I had an injury and I'd moved back to Melbourne and I wasn't in the best headspace mentally. Things were just not really working that well for me. I had gained about 12 kilos. Um, and I think that was the hardest point for me because the efforts I was making to attempt to lose the weight, which is what I'd done so many times previously, weren't working. And whether that was a combination of the thyroid stuff or whether that was because I was just really struggling to stick to my deficit because my body was so sick of the cycle of restricting and overeating could be a combination of all those things. And so that was the first time in my life, I was forced to sit at this weight and forced to really confront it and get comfortable with it and work through those feelings that come up when you are somewhere you don't want to be. So add to the mix social media, that was really difficult, but I tried to be really open about it. There were so many there was so much fear around that because I was like, if people see that I can't lose weight as a PT, I'm going to lose business. Like people aren't going to trust me. I'm going to lose my credibility. What am I going to talk about? Filming myself made me feel really sad by what I saw because I was like, how did I get here? And how do I have no control over this? Like that was so uncomfortable. And so it was about figuring out how to navigate that, which was really hard because I would receive comments about my weight as people were used to seeing me in a certain way. And those comments hurt so much because that was what was hurting me. If someone came and critiqued, you know, criticized my technique, I wouldn't care because I know I have good technique. But if someone's coming at me about something that I'm feeling really sad about, of course, it's going to upset me. Like I cried so many times at these comments that I would get about my weight. And I was like, I just need to figure this out. I just need to be okay with where I'm at. So it wasn't necessarily body positivity. It was more body neutrality. So Mm -hmm. not trying to pretend to myself that I'm happy with where I'm at when I know so much of me isn't. And there's such deeper work to undo all of that and look at that. And that's the work that you should be doing with a, a therapist, in my opinion. But it was about 
looking at myself and being like, okay, I know this isn't my ideal. I know this isn't where I want to be, but this is where I am and I need to accept this and be okay about it. I don't have to love it. I don't have to look at myself and be like, no, I, I love what I look like, but I also don't have to tear myself apart because that's not helping me. So it was trying to catch those thoughts as they would arise when I would look at myself and be like, this is just for now. This is just for now. This is okay. And even if I can't change where I'm at, because I was like, that might be the case. I mightn't be able to do anything about this and I need to be okay with that. So I really tried to diversify what my interests and hobbies were because so much of my life, my business, what I was doing, social media, training, my hobby of loving fitness was all centered around my body and everything was about what I looked like and what I shared online. So I was like, okay, do other things, like invest time in your family and your relationships. I actually became a really good coach because I invested heaps of time in study and learning and doing courses. So even though I felt like you know, people judge a PT based on what they look like. Even though I felt like I didn't look the part, I was at least able to empathize with my clients because I understood the feelings because I was going through it and also educate myself to learn more and help them more. And then going, like sharing that vulnerability really connected me on a deeper level with the community. So nothing quote unquote bad happened to my business. People were actually really lovely and supportive whenever I shared that I was struggling about it. And I find whenever I do anything vulnerable like that online, there's such a beautiful, loving response because people are going through it too, but a lot of people don't talk about it or expect it from someone who is like this PT, this fitness influencer PT. So I think that relatability is something that people really appreciate. What an amazing transformation emotionally and intellectually to be able to look at what you had started with and to see that full circle where you have been able to sit in the most intense amount of discomfort under the microscope of thousands of people and still be able to like come out of it with like a positive attitude. That's to me, that's amazing. Like seriously amazing. Um, Yeah, I do. I did want to ask a little bit about sharing vulnerably online as well. Um, and this is how we connected. We went through a breakup at the same time and a heartbreak probably that started within maybe one or two weeks of each other. So we were literally in the trenches together. <laughs> um, and I hope you don't mind me asking what was, because I, I know your relationship, your previous relationship, you were very mindful and careful not to not to talk too much about it and to not post too much about it and to keep it really private because your life is so public. What was it like kind of reversing that and sharing with your community about your heartbreak? Yeah, I made sure I made some rules and boundaries for myself where um, like my ex and I split on amicable terms. There was no like toxic stuff there or anything anything bad happened, you know, cheating or anything like that where I was like jaded and bitter and wanted to sort of bring him down. He, you know, my choice to keep him private was also he didn't want to really be on my Instagram too much. So I probably would have shared him more if he felt comfortable with that. Because he's a private person, I wanted to remain respectful of that in the breakup. So the breakup wasn't about you know, going into detail about why we broke up or what he said or what I said. It was about me and my healing and, and the journey that I was on. And even though it started because of two people ending something together, the journey 
of that healing was all about me. So I felt comfortable sharing what I was going through, knowing it had nothing to do with him and knowing that I wasn't, you know, using my platform to talk shit about him or, you know, anything that that was about him, that's his thing or that's our thing in the past and that can stay between the two of us. So it, it felt intimidating, of course. It's always really hard to be vulnerable, especially in a platform where you know you're likely going to reach many people. Like some of those reels have like a million views, half a million views. So, you know, a lot of people are seeing it. You know, there's always going to be, uh, you know, mean comments and stuff like that. But for the most part, I get so many messages and DMs from people being grateful for sharing that because you and I both know how lonely it is, even though we had each other to, we literally spoke every single day and would check in with each other and share our grief together. Like we really did help each other through that. And I'm so grateful for that. And that's something really nice that came from the breakup. You know, you lost someone, but you gained someone else. And I was able to do that for a lot of people because now I get so, so, so many messages of people just saying, thanks for sharing this. I feel less alone. And that's always going to encourage me to continue sharing. And that's always been the message I've received, even when I've shared struggles with weight changes and fluctuations or struggling with motivation or anything like that, that just makes you feel less alone and more real. Um, if I can do that for people, because I know I really appreciate it, then I'm I'm so happy to work through my vulnerability and do that. When you're in the trenches and you're going through that peak, peak level of grief, there's not much that you can hold on to that feels really positive, um, except those those interactions and speaking every day to you felt like someone understood because it's really easy. And I'm I'm mindful. I was actually going to ask you, like, what's a piece of advice that you have for anyone who's going through heartbreak right now? But then I had this moment of like internal self-reflection before that question came out where I was like, do you know what? There's actually not much that you can offer in terms of advice for someone who's deep, deep in that level of grief because they actually need to be speaking to and communicating with someone who's on that same level because there's a level of understanding of that kind of pain that you don't have in hindsight and that you don't have when you're further down the track. But I would like to ask you... um, is there anything that you read or consumed or practiced in that time that felt really helpful going through that process of grief? I'm very much a proactive kind of gal when it comes to what I'm experiencing. So I really like to learn and understand what is going on in my mind and my body. And it's hard it's hard because it doesn't make sense in that in those first really raw sort of few weeks nothing makes sense and your body's just in like survival mode so i don't know how helpful it was trying to learn this stuff but i suppose reading certain books and listening to certain podcasts was the first thing i did like i just looked up on my phone like heartbreak or stages of heartbreak i've got some books um in like a heartbreak highlight on my Instagram or if you want to put them in the show notes that I think the wisdom of a broken heart was one where it was really just good for going through those really early stages of the breakup where everything just feels like like I don't even know what's going on right now. So mm-hmm. reading and, and consuming that, that really helped me. But also just giving yourself that allowance to cry and feel everything because so many people are like, oh, just keep going or just 
try and ignore this because it's too painful and it's sort of like just let yourself be and feel and do whatever you need in that moment and don't judge yourself for it. Like my apartment was a mess. I wasn't eating. Like my washing didn't get done. Any of that stuff, everything was just on hold. Doing work was just like not really happening. So I think be compassionate with yourself. It will change. And if you can talk to a therapist or someone who is going through it at the same time as you, like I found it really helpful talking to you because we had a lot of really similar experiences at that time. Even now, when I look back in hindsight, I'm like, wait, what was it like again? I remember like a lot of pain, but I don't remember the exact thoughts that were going through my head. So Yeah, yeah. you're so right. And we both coped in very similar ways in the sense that we both had a very similar um, out, sorry, out, not outtake, but a very similar approach to how we dealt with heartbreak, which was the acceptance of all of those feelings, allowing them all to come up, allowing everything to be felt, not texting our exes, which was a massive, massive, crucial part. Um, and also reading. I found that so cathartic and researching what was actually going on inside my body. So similar kind of thing to you, which was so amazing. Um I guess the last question that I have for you um, before we wrap up, Soph, is around your mental health management now because um, the level of self-awareness that you have about yourself and your needs, particularly around burnout, which we didn't really get to speak to, um, but you did mention at the start that you're starting to feel a little bit burnt out. What are the non-negotiable things that you put in place for your own mental health to make sure that you're being the best version of yourself? Are there any like routines that you are massively stuck to or what does that look like for you? Yeah. Uh, a huge thing I like to do for myself is read. Um, I am just, I've read 11 books this year and it's Feb 24. So I love to read and that's a form of mindfulness for me in a way because I'm so focused on reading and escape. I read fantasy and it's like I escape into these worlds that are so far removed from anything that's going on in my life. That really helps. I'm really big on morning and night routines. So in the morning, I'll meditate. I'll read like a self-development book pretty much five out of seven mornings a week. And I go for a walk with my dog and that's sort of my morning routine that just helps me set the tone for the day and just get into that headspace and trying to reduce my screen time before I'm really like ready to start work. Um, I really try to actually take time off like on weekends because owning your own business, you can work sort of all the time. So I try to be good with my boundaries and just acknowledge that I need that time off in order to be my most productive self during the week. And therapy. I, I see a therapist. Um, I was was going every fortnight when I was in a relationship because my anxiety was worse and now I'm going monthly, um, which, yeah, I think it's so great to see a therapist and, and have that unbiased person that you can rely on and you can go to and is on your team to help figure out all the things that trigger you and understand yourself a bit better to help support your mental health. But they would be the main things. Um, and obviously, fitness training that helps my mental health as well beautiful well so i think we will wrap up there thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for joining us today um but also on a personal level like thank you for everything that you did for me um during that very tumultuous period of my life i'm so grateful for you and for connecting with you in the way that we did so thank you thank you so much Thank you as well. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Episodes drop every Monday morning and you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on your favourite podcast app. Remember to take 10 and check on the man you love today.